0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Dan.
1: This is Kim.
0: This is Chris. Welcome to episode 14 of the podcast. This week we are talking about Star Trek Catan, as well as regular Catan. We got Dan and Kim to the table, finally, to play one of the classics. Yeah, I was going to say, after six months of being, how did you never play Catan? Finally got it in. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. I actually happened to bring it with me, so we, had it, we played it just a few hours ago. So... <laughs> And they played uh, Star Trek Catan the other day, too. Yep, So finally got a chance of that one, too. So we're going to talk about that. we got a couple other games that we got to the table. We finally got a large version of Masquerade in, oh, which yeah. is very interesting. All right. And a few other games that are kind of out there that we're looking at. They're coming in soon. All right, so since we recorded our last podcast about three days ago, not a lot has happened in the news. But I do want to point out that we have the special holiday shopping guide coming very soon. Uh, we're putting it together in the next couple days and that's going to hit Thanksgiving week. So you should download that as soon as it's up because it's going to have a ton of great gift ideas in it. All right, so we're going to dive right into our Acquisition Disorders for this week. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, so what is hitting our Acquisition disorder this week, guys?
2: So uh, so, I mean, as you know, I always love Ascension, it's always been a favorite game of mine. Now Anthony, you know, you played a bit of Magic, you know those foil cards, every time you open a pack you get all happy?
0: Yeah, they're shiny.
2: Well, Ascension Year One is coming out soon, and it's going to be the first game with the first expansion, all the Year One promos, and including the Leprechaun with the Pot of Gold Treasures, and the Rat King with the Rat Followers. But everything is going to be foil. Nice. Yeah. So even though I already have everything that it's going to give you, I kind of feel like I need it, so every card is special.
0: (laughs) That is the textbook definition of acquisition disorder, my friend.
2: Yeah, it's it's terrible. What I'm going to probably do is as soon as I get this thing, I'm sure for the for the holidays, I'm going to be like, hey, check it out. You get a sleeved copy of Ascension with the promos to, <laughs> to somebody. But, I mean, for an entirely foil game, it's, it's kind of almost like a little hard to pass up, you know?
0: Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Is it limited at all?
2: Not that I know of, but I know it's going to also come in like a collector's tin, mm. which is going to just get banged up and dented in my car anyway, so I'll probably never <laughs> use it. <laughs> But still, I'll have it, and that'll be cool.
0: Yeah, it goes in the shelf.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the collector tins you get on every single Xbox game you buy the collectors of, and you're like, well, that's nice. Toss in a drawer.
3: <laughs> yeah. So it's there for a year, collecting dust, and you put change in it or something.
2: And then five years later, you go, I'm sure it's worth something on eBay. Nope. Nope. <laughs> every now and then. Yeah, a couple, but... Like I said, I mean, this thing looks awesome, and just for the idea of all the foil cards, I'm just really hoping that it's not prone to that little bit of bending and warping that foil cards get.
0: Yeah, sure. You know,
2: that little bit of the U-shape, but we'll find out once I get it.
0: Yeah. It's cool that they're making them all foil, though, because then if they aren't bent a little, it's not like, I wonder which card this is yeah. in the deck.
2: <laughs> which we've had with our um, Tentacle Bento, once we foil sleeved up those promos, they have like a slight, slight curve to them. So if somebody they don't know which one, but know, somebody knows you have a special card in your hands.
0: Yeah, that's tough. That's a good idea. At first I thought it was just a cash grab, but that's actually a good idea. Because if you want to play those cards, the promos, with the foils.
2: Yeah, and I mean, if they're on the same quality as some of those magic promos, it's going to be awesome. I'm looking
3: at a great new game called CV, or Curriculum Vita. Basically, your resume. You have a little board in front of you where you get to pick out different events of life. So maybe when you start off as a child, you can play a child card playing with new toys, roll dice to get experience, to get activities, to get luck. And then as it goes on, it builds on that. So now you have these toys. You'll have an opportunity to make friends because toys always get a couple of friends to come around and play. Roll the dice. Maybe that works out. Now you have friends. Well, maybe you can get onto the school play because you have your friends. Roll the dice and see how it moves on. So CV lets you kind of build a whole entire life with different paths. And each experience is different. Each life is different. And you'll score points based upon your own level of happiness with the life that kind of comes out based on these cards. So you could have your life multiple different ways. It reminds me of the old games where kind of almost like you choose your own adventure, which way you want to go and what do you want to build, or even more like a general RP game, RPG. What are you going to build? What's What skills,
2: what abilities? And just has a lot of fun to it. When you describe that, I just had a flashback to the beginning of Fallout 3. <laughs> That's Where, right. <laughs> the game actually starts with your birth and you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, what are we gonna call him? You know, and you play with the blocks and that decides if your intelligence is so I love decide. how that game starts. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I've been watching this game for a while. I know it showed up at Essen and I'm hoping that it gets uh US release soon because the artwork is really nice quality artwork, the components look great, it looks like a nice fun light game to kinda get your whole family in on.
2: You know who the publisher on that one is? All right, so let's see how badly I butcher this one. It's being published by Grana Heidelberger Spieleverlag.
0: Of course it has. (laughs) So we're going to assume it's going to get licensed by someone else in the U.S., but for now...
2: (laughs) The Grana (laughs) Spieleberg?
0: Yes, the. the.
2: Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I like that idea.
0: Yeah, and that's a totally different kind of theme, too. It's not the same one slapped on yet another game. Yeah, exactly. slightly different mechanics.
2: And one other thing is, uh, you know, we haven't talked about Kickstarter for a little while, but Brewcrafters, I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks back that we saw it. Well, now we backed it, and I can't wait for this one to come out. It's already at its fourth stretch goal, and it's going to be fun, man. I cannot wait. I'm hoping it comes in right in the summer when we start getting our pale ales in and all that. Uh, it's going to be a good game. And man. I'm waiting for Soda Crafters,
3: the <laughs>
0: expansion. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. Maybe it'll be a stretch goal. Down the that line. would be pretty good. The That's designated good. driver edition.
2: I like
0: that It's just as expensive as the regular
3: game But you get to take your friends home
2: <laughs> they, just, they just get 25% Of everyone else's victory points At the end of the night right. Yeah, right. I don't know where your money went huh? That's what your
0: wallet looked like when I took you home <laughs>
2: But what's good about this game is by the time you hear this podcast, there'll still be a few days left, so you can always jump in, and once this game comes out, you'll be having the fun right along with us.
0: Yeah, and it looks fantastic, and it's not just, like, a first-time game developer. You're not completely blindly backing somebody. They've got a couple great games out there.
2: Yeah, so. Dice Hate Me. I mean, they've they yeah. got a slew of things up on there. Yeah.
0: So Why do Dice Hate Them?
2: I don't know, man. It could be because uh, they always roll threes when playing Hero clicks, so they get... Uh, they never roll that 8 when they're playing Catan. Yeah, there's a few reasons.
0: <laughs> Nobody rolls the 8 when they're playing Catan. Why is it a big number? <laughs> I always pick it, and that never works.
1: Because
0: yeah. the dice hate you. Exactly. You Ooh, shouldn't. I should be in their group. I'm telling you. Well, that's you. why we're backing it, right? <laughs> all right, so, yeah, that's everything that's, we're really psyched about right now. Um, keep an eye on all those games that are supposed to be hitting soon from Essen, and uh, we'll be telling you about them as they come out. And definitely listen, to next week, because we'll have our... Uh, shopping guide with a lot of games that are either out right now or going to be out very soon. That'll be good to pick up as gifts for your gamer friends and family members. Uh, next up, the stuff we played this week. At the table this week. So
3: one of the games that's in our table this week is Risk Legacy. So if you're like me, at some point in your life, you had the opportunity to sit down and pray, play Risk. Risk is this global domination game where you get an army and you march across the map to take out the other armies. The last army standing wins the game. Now, this was a classic game for me. I remember back in, t- back in college where I had hours and hours of fun with this game with friends. As those dice rolls, you kind of lived and died by them. And I had a friend, Charlo, who used to stand up on the table and throw the dice from... Up high, hoping that somehow it would benefit his roles some
2: way. Gravity would give him uh, the higher numbers.
3: Um, A lot of fun, a really good time. Everyone enjoyed it. But one of the problems with Risk generally was one, player elimination, right? So you would have your friends get knocked out at some point, and now they would have to sit as you continue to play Risk for the next two to 25,000
2: hours. Like the one thing I always thought was good about that is you have to play Risk at a friend's house who has a game console. So this way if you get knocked out, you have something to do while you're waiting for your friends to take anywhere for up to three days to finish it out. (laughs) Sure. And
3: then the second thing about Risk is it's the same game over and over. There's not a lot of variability to it. The board stays the same each and every time. So with the recent release of Risk's Legacy, it adds something different because each game is different. So you start off with a really small army, and when you start off, all you're trying to do is get some points in order to win that turn's battle. So you capture someone else's home headquarters, you knock out some players, you get enough cards and now you've won that round. So each game may only last an hour. Um, But from there the real fun part comes in because the winner gets to mark up the board. So you'll get stickers to place on the board which will give you benefits later in the future. You'll get tokens and as the game continues, and as wins and losses happen, you'll be able to open up packets. This is the really interesting thing about Risk Legacy. It's got this kind of you know, secret suitcase kind of look to it. So when you pop it open, you have your regular Risk pieces in it, but there's also a whole number of envelopes that have cards and stickers put aside and some other stuff, which I don't want to spoil. And as the game goes on, it'll tell you when you could open these packs that will alter the game. So the game goes over a number of different rounds including I think I think it's a total of 15 rounds and as the game goes on you'll be opening up all the packets and see what what takes place. But each and every time the board changes, the play changes and you have a different experience each and every
2: time. Yeah, and I think like that 15th game packet, it actually like threatens you like whatever you do, do not open this until the final conflict. Period. Like sure. <laughs> So you
3: you really do get a different play experience each and every time. You're ripping up cards, you're ripping up stickers, you're marking the board, you're putting your name down on the board, you're taking advantage of areas, you can only start in certain areas. So by the time you finish, you have a unique Risk board that's unlike anyone else's game. It's a lot of fun, it's very interactive, and it, it can play a lot quicker and faster, which was the one weakness of Risk originally. So it's really a good time and something definitely to check out the one caveat is you ch- you have to find a group of people that are willing to commit to all 15 rounds because otherwise you're going to have different people playing, which is going to kind of throw off the gameplay a lot. So this is a game that when you do sign your name t- on inside the board, you're going to play all 15 rounds over several different weeks. I had a chance to play this over a number of different weeks, really enjoyed the different components to the game, and it's definitely something you should take a look at.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a, a RPG war game at that point. Because you're actually influencing what happens ahead, as opposed to just starting from ground zero every time. I kind of like that idea. They also actually even made um, we didn't play test this legacies. Sure. Along the same vein, where it comes with packets of cards, where it's like don't open this until you're in a house that has at least five cats. Don't open this until <laughs> you know you had breakfast for dinner. Like all these little weird things like that. And it's the same deal. It's great. Which is great with the base game because it's the same mechanic where you're writing down things on the card, so it's a permanent change to the game. I love that idea. I would love to do that for something, like, a, a little more fancy based Like, if we can each make our own packet for, like, Rune Wars or something.
0: Mm, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the cool things I think it does, and I haven't played yet, but I've seen people playing it, is it takes a 10-hour game and makes it an hour.
2: Into, like, 10 segments, yeah. It's... Yeah,
0: so it's, that's great, because then the number of people in a room who, when you say you want to play Risk, who run away oh, yeah. is <laughs> much higher than the number who are willing to stick around, because everybody knows the commitment there. It's like, uh ah, I like it, but... Eh, you know, it's, it's long.
3: It's definitely not a game for house rules. You have to play it really straight, really quick, follow the rules to the T, because that's when all the packets open up. And this is actually um, produced by Hasbro. So it's good to see them getting involved in more of the designer game market. Wow. This yeah. might be our
0: first Hasbro review. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, the the one thing i got to say is, like, uh, you know, like, Risk has never really interested me. I don't know. It's like something about just modern stuff where it's like soldiers and tanks. I'm like, eh. But, if there was like some like I said some fancy element or a little something else, I think I would definitely jump on board for that.
0: I liked risk, but I never finished a game. And <laughs> wow. it was never me, but like nobody we 'd never actually make it through a whole game. Someone would flip out or flip the table or leave, and when someone leaves, it kind of ruins the thing out die of
2: old age you know exactly
0: <laughs> you know it's I think there's that specific period of time in high school where you can get people together to play that, and we were playing d and d instead, so mm. like you can 't do both
1: but there is that. Risk uh, fantasy type of thing, that D&D game that we did an unboxing video of.
2: Yeah, the, the Conquest of Narath. They said it was said? something
1: like Risk.
0: It does look a lot like Risk. I
2: have yeah. played it, but... So, I mean, if we can find a way to, you know, transfer some of those legacy elements over to that game or something.
0: Yeah. That'd be fun. That's shorter, though. That's not 10 hours. That is true. I've seen it finished.
2: (laughs) That is true, yeah. You've seen people start at 9 and leave by 12. That's always good. Yeah, that's a reasonable amount of time. We actually got to finally play Masquerade with a bigger table. We had eight players. And that game is a lot more fun. I mean, we had a great time the first time we played it, but it really does ramp up once you have like seven, eight people at that table. There's so many roles and it's great because people are just calling out wild names. Nobody wants to challenge them, but there's so many players you feel like you have to. And it was just a lot of good times. Like, we got to see the Thief in action, um, the Inquisitor. For the game of Masquerade, most of the cards are pretty simple, but the Inquisitor is just mean. He basically points at a player, and they have to guess who they are. And if they don't get it right, they have to give the Inquisitor four gold. So he is somebody that can make that game ramp up quick and speed, because he gets more cash than anyone else. You know, even the king only gets three from the bank, but he's taking four from
0: a player. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know who doesn't know who they are. Oh, yeah. You look at their eyes. Especially, like, you could flip it over and just look around, and anybody who's like, ah,
2: crud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, and it's, you know, when when somebody says they're the Inquisitor and they have, like, you know, nine or ten coins, you're like, I, I gotta call it, I don't wanna, but I'm the Inquisitor. And you just, even though you know you're not, but... Yeah, but, I mean, it's definitely fun. I mean, we mentioned in the past, you should definitely try this game out for, like, you know, if you're looking for a bigger group game. If you want to get a breakaway from Werewolf and Resistance, you know, the usual games like that, this is something that can be a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of laughs were going around that table.
3: So, Kim, I saw that you and Dan had a chance to get Forbidden Desert in. How'd you like it?
1: I liked it a lot. It seemed interesting.
3: Yeah, I've played, just played this recently, and I played the original one, Forbidden Island, which was a lot of fun. Um, It's a great game, especially if you've never played a co-op game. This is a really good introduction. How would you like it as an introduction game to co-op play?
1: I found it kind of hard as a co-op game, only because you have a limited amount of water. And you have these cards that come out that can take away the water. If you land on, like, uh, what is it, a well? Yeah,
3: if you find one of the wells in the game, that gives you an opportunity to um, fill up your canteen. And... It's an opportunity because what happens during the game, if you ever played Forbidden Desert, is there's these cards that pop up from the deck, and then the sun beats down on you and you lose water. So while you're searching for the treasures that are somewhere buried amongst these cards that are buried by sand, you also have to keep track of your water consumption too. Because if one player runs out of water, when the sun beats down, the entire game is over. So it's definitely a little more challenging than Forbidden Island, which is just trying to get the treasures, get back to the copter, and as you need to, you can flip the tiles over. This is definitely a lot more challenging, but definitely better components, right? How was that that ship you guys were putting together?
1: Oh, it was amazing. I I didn't know they actually had, like, like an actual ship. I was expecting something a little more, like, cardboard or plastic. So when we broke it out and we saw, like, they had, like, this, like... Almost looks like a pirate ship. I thought that was pretty cool. And then you can take all the pieces and you put that on the board accordingly. I thought that was pretty cool.
3: Yeah, what's really interesting about this game too is when when the sandstorm hits, the tiles move. So where originally you thought one piece of the ship was going to be can move somewhere else on the board just based upon the sand shifting. So yeah, Kim, this game definitely has an added complexity to it. And especially that when the sand storm hits, not only does it add sand to the tiles, which buries the treasures and the wells, but also it moves tiles around so it doesn't, it adds an extra level of complexity of finding out, well, we knew the treasure was there, but now the treasure is probably somewhere else because the markers that were pointed to the treasure also have moved. Sometimes that benefits you, sometimes it works against you, but yeah, it really is challenging, and it's really best if you can play with the full complement of characters.
1: It does remind me of that uh those little sliding puzzles that you get. Absolutely. And birthdays. Like like you'll be like a picture of a donkey or something like that or like a horse.
3: Yeah, and you have that once empty space where you can move the piece.
1: Yeah.
2: Except in this game, the picture is your untimely demise when you run out of water and get buried alive.
1: Which happened to you.
2: Yeah, my corpse was left behind in a sandstorm. She just went on without me. Yeah,
1: but do you want to know something? Chris actually said that when one player dies, that's it, game's over.
2: Yeah, I know. That's the rule, but... It's up. I'm sorry, man. If it's a zombie apocalypse and you go down, I'm going to keep running.
0: <laughs> so
2: Doesn't I, the human
0: race still survive?
2: Yeah, right? I mean, Walking uh, Dead... Jim's dead. Yeah. <laughs> we're done <laughs> you can see Walking Dead not like, Jim mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we really needed him
0: everybody lie down let him eat you yeah.
2: well like think about it. like Walking Dead oh we lost Dale well it's over let's just call it a day whoa, whoa, and lay out in the fields they lost Dale? yeah like a thousand years ago
3: <gasps> spoilers no but as a co-op game the basic mechanic is you win together or you lose together and that's you're...
1: not how Dan plays no yeah.
2: man you get out of that desert you go <laughs> on without them but we did make it fair if that person had a piece, you had to go back because the piece is with them. Ah, So okay. So it makes that actually even more challenging, but I love that as a house rule. I think it makes it a little more interesting. Did you play the Dune version where you collected her water? <laughs> I was harvesting the spice. That's, that's
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, the giant worm pops out. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I think they're saving that for the expansion. So, Kim, what do you think overall? Good game?
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. I... I talked in into playing it multiple times <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's
2: definitely fun i like you know i didn't i was wondering how challenging it can be it does get really really rough especially if you don't have the water collector he's the only one that can ever get from the wells more than once sure so if you don't get that dealt to you as one of your roles that game just ramps in difficulty
3: yeah it's definitely in line with pandemic where if you have the right characters you have a shot if not, you're in for a bad day.
2: Yeah, the water carrier almost reminded me of like the medic in Pandemic, where sure. it's like they automatically just clean up the zones if you found the cure. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty sweet. I like the components, you know, and that ship is awesome. Sure. You know, you really do want to get together and you know escape on that thing once you see the little engine in it and you got the sails and everything. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's surprising
3: too because when they when they announced Forbidden Desert, we're like, ah, oh, this is just going to be you know a, a reskin of the same game. But they actually found a way to make it fresh
0: and a lot of fun. It looks cool. I haven't played it yet, but I played Forbidden Island a couple times, and I really liked how much of an entry-level co-op it was. Because we talked last week about co-ops and trying to find a good entry point for people who are just getting into board games, and most of them are pretty brutal. And they can be a lot of fun once you get to that point, but things like Pandemic, for somebody who's never played before, those are tough. So Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert.
2: Yeah, it's it's a little more of an easier entry point for new players. Yeah. Tougher than Forbidden Island, though? That's the thing. I never really got to play Forbidden Island. A friend of mine got it, and he loves it. So I told him about Forbidden Desert, and he said that's their new favorite. I don't know if it's maybe they just got tired of Forbidden Island or if it actually offers more. I still got to play that. Just
0: yeah. To... I'm wondering if it's like a graduation
3: point or if it's just like an alternative. I would say it's a graduation point um, because you do have to keep track of your water. you didn't have to do it at the other game. And also the treasures, the things that you're trying to pick up. So in Forbidden Island, you have treasures you have to collect. This, you have parts of the ship that you have to collect. The parts move in Forbidden Desert. So it's a little more challenging, or can be at least a little more challenging in this game. Plus, when the sandstorm hits, it adds sand, which you have to dig up. So yeah, I think it's definitely a a step up from Forbidden Island.
0: Okay, that's cool. And these games are pretty affordable too. I mean, they come in those tins, which I don't know how well they stack. Which is
3: I'm not but. a fan of those tins because they do not stack well and they they damage and dent all the time. But uh, Game Right did a great job with this. And uh, I don't know what we're looking at. Forbidden Jungle? Forbidden Tundra next? Or
2: forbidden
0: Moon. Forbidden Moon.
3: That'd be yeah. cool.
2: I would like a Forbidden like, Arctic or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, that'd okay. be
2: nice. You know, sometimes maybe like, uh, you know, as the temperature drops, you get less movement. Yeah, cold. Or something that like that. That'd be a good one. If it digs the snow out. Yeah, you know, it's the, same, the yeah. same elements, but something where it's like, instead of drawing more cards when you go up, you get less actions. That would be cool for the, you know, on the Frost Waste. Million dollar idea. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you,
3: you could pick up either one of these games and be fine with it. If you're looking for something just with the family, someone just starting out, start with the island and then move on to the desert.
2: Yeah, I gotta say the one thing, uh, when you were mentioning about the ten though, I don't know uh, by what form of miracle it happened, but so far, ours is in really good shape. Good. yeah, and it's one of the few times that I actually kept the insert because normally I always like rip this out and make my own thing, but it fits the ship, the pieces, and everything perfectly. Like when we take it around, not even those like little plastic sliders on the side are bouncing out of the box, and we don't even keep them in a bag, so it was pretty impressive. And the component quality is good, too, yeah,
3: definitely which like is that's good
2: for the price.
0: It's really a surprising deal.
1: No coasters,
0: no coasters, <laughs> coaster free.
1: Well, the stains you could probably use as coasters, but,
0: but they have another purpose.
1: They do.
3: They actually have a purpose. That's that's a thing.
0: Let's not insinuate that there's an actual purpose to the Z-Man coasters. (laughs) Money. (laughs) That's not a purpose. It's not for me. It's like a money sink in an MMO. You want the purple horse? Just
2: $9 more. Does it move faster? No, but it's purple.
3: Ooh, purple. Uh Uh-oh. Kim's acquisition purple disorder is going to pop up any second.
1: Where are the horses coming from?
3: (laughs) See? Told you. Which MMO is that?
2: (laughs) No one said anything about purple.
1: There's a purple long shot horse, so... Yeah,
2: why not? we play anything else this week, guys? Um, Well, actually, speaking of long shot, we did go for a game of long shot because we had, like, a new player coming in. Unfortunately, it kind of degenerated into, like, why we were waiting for the new person. Like, oh, let's try this, let's try that. Broke out a few other games. I'm actually... You know, every time I break out long shot, I'm always impressed by how fun that game is. Even though it's so simple. You know, just two different dice, like, base game. I always want, though, like, I want them to make something like that again. I haven't found, like, you know, a game like that in a while where it's that same element of you don't have to have the winning horse. Like, that's one thing about that game that I love. You don't actually have to own the horse to win the game. I want some games like that where it's like, okay, I know that Chris is pulling this home. How do I ride his
0: coattails? That is true. That is a great element of that game. And you can start the game and just not care about your never buy your own horse. You'll
2: yeah, be fine. Just every turn, bet, 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 and like it's funny because no one really does that until you get a new player, because you're so used to every other
0: game where you need to have the winner. Yeah, it's almost something someone would chaotic neutral in another game, where they'd play their own little game and like I'm just going to bet. But the yeah. game encourages it, so yeah. it actually makes it more fun.
2: And it doesn't. Yeah, it never actually negatively affects anybody in this game. Yeah. If if anyone out there knows of a game with that similar mechanic. Where you don't need to actually own the winning unit, the winning whatever. That you can actually just like be a part of the other team and mid-game. Not that you have to team up in the beginning. If anyone knows there's something else out there like that, let us know on Twitter or Facebook. Because I want to play another game like that. I love long shot. But I just want one other thing where it's like, you're winning this, I'm going to just follow in your wake and hopefully rack up enough points.
3: There in is the one game that kind of touches that, which is Cosmic Encounter.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: Because, you know, you're you clearly have enough ships to win this battle. Yeah. If I if I get a chance to ally with you, but I can jump in. Yes. I
2: guess like I kinda of see it. The only mm-hmm. thing with cosmic encounters you still actually have your own units and you do have to get sure. accepted into that battle. Long shot it's like, I'm betting on your horse. <laughs> you don't you know, have I'm,
1: to ask to bet. Yeah.
2: It's mm-hmm. like and I'm doing it and I'm doing it and I'm doing it and now I'm gonna get three hundred dollars. Sweet. That's a trip. You know?
1: But so people like to gamble, it's like you a know, long shot.
2: Yeah, but I do love that the cap is $5 because, you know, that's what casinos do. No, 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 only one quarter at a time. Please pace yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we try not to create gambling addicts. we are making this board <laughs> game. They're like, we need to be responsible, guys. It's <laughs> can... like an episode of like, hey, this game's for kids. It's about drinking and gambling. <laughs> <laughs> that couldn't go wrong, could it?
3: Could it? No. <laughs> guys, guys. <laughs> Let's say it doesn't. Let's say it
0: doesn't. <laughs> uh, I think the only other game I played this week was Hero Clicks. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first non-competitive game of Hero Click. it was just me and Mike Miley and then you and Kim. It was actually a lot of fun cuz the tournament was actually cool. The people are really cool at myriad. Um, of all the tournaments it's probably the most fun I've been in. It was yeah. very chill. People were pretty really cool and they helped me learn. That was my first time playing. But it was still a tournament. I never actually finished a game because there was a time limit and it was three free for all with three players. So it was mop up. Yeah. This was cool. It was two teams of two so it was me and mike against you and kim and i think i was playing like the night or like, birds of prey birds of prey yeah, yeah batman the batman universe we had like oracle and
2: huntress and all that
0: yeah and it was cool because they were like the one would pick the rest up and move them around the board and oracle would give them all bonuses and they worked pretty well until they started to die um,
2: <laughs> as tends to be the case with most yeah, teams <laughs> Yeah,
0: but it was a cool game because we had mike over there with two man things Yeah, with Howard the Duck. Yeah, he's like, it's a separate character, but it was a man thing with Howard the Duck on its head. You had Mr. Freeze, and that was the first time Mr. Freeze went on a rampage, and then Kim had Null, who took everybody's attention, while but
1: did nothing, no, Noel was cool. no, was good. No, no, kept
0: everyone's eyes locked on him.
1: No, it did, but it did nothing. But that's, I couldn't that's hit what anybody. it did,
0: that's what it did, though. All of our firepower was on Noel, and Mr. Freeze was freezing the heck out of everybody.
2: Mr. Freeze was murdering everyone, <laughs> yeah, he was
0: so much so that you've now created custom ice tiles.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, once these are finished and I am, uh, put like a little bit of sealant on them, I want to throw the pictures on Facebook. Freeze is my favorite. If you guys, you know, if you play Heroclix, the TV Batman series has had some amazing cards. And nobody uses them because they're not the top tier 20 characters. If any of you guys out there play Heroclix, I'm begging you. Make a team of your most non-usual players. Like, break out just different people, different names. Go for some of those cheap units and pick up a couple of boosters of the TV Batman series. They all have the elaborate death trap like they did in the old show. So, like, take, for example, Bookworm. The way these traps work is you get these bonuses, and then you do a dice-off against the other player. And by every point you beat them in the dice-off, you do that much damage. Like, to a max of five, I think. Bookworm's bonus is equal to the hour of the day in a 12-hour cycle. So since the Hero Clicks tournament usually starts around 8 o'clock, it's hilarious. (laughs) Um, like you know, all these other people like have these great bonuses. Like Mister Freeze, it's based on the number of action tokens on people because he likes to slow people down. And one of the best things is he has this attack where you put foosh counters on him. <laughs> and I made custom foosh counters too. Yeah, you did. And it's great because he, everyone views these things as non-threats because they're not like two or three hundred points. And he was just running around, taking everyone out, and even Mike, who had those powerful units, was like, what, "What? wait, what? He does seven now? And he just never saw something like that before. Like That's what's
0: fun about playing non-conventional methods in these games. It's, it's the best way to make hero clicks fun. Either way, otherwise, you're just min-maxing. Yeah. You know, like, oh, this guy's got 300 points, but this guy's got 295, but he's got the extra stat. Like At that point, I don't, I don't like games like that, and that's why I would steer clear of tournaments, mm. um, outside of Myriad, at least. But that was a lot of fun. Also, just playing with your friends is always more fun than money on the table.
2: Yeah, and what you said too about like with our Myriad group, I don't know if it's Hero Clicks or just we're lucky enough that our local store works like this. Most of the competitive games, like uh, I don't know if I ever said it on the show before, but my first game of tournament magic in the last couple of years, like I didn't play magic for a long time. I thought I had a good deck. We heard about these tournaments, we went and played against somebody, and in the first game I played, I got destroyed. I hit for one point of damage in the first game, and I only did three in the second game. And I just got totaled. And at the end of the game, the kid just looks at me and goes, what was that deck supposed to do? Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, lose to jerks. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that wasn't really fun. And, there, you know, people that play Magic, they're a little aggressive, they're a little intense, you know, most of the time. Not everyone, but there's a fair share it's of it. It's not
0: universal, but... Yeah,
2: and I mean, even other, like, CCGs, like, it's kind of weird, like, Yu-Gi-Oh!, you see people get aggressive about Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's like, but it's a cartoon for kids, why are you so angry? But the Heroclix, I don't know if it's because of the superhero elements, or like I said, just our local group, but all those guys are pretty good when you play. Like, there's a few people that power game it, but they're at least nice to you while they're doing it. They know that they're winning, so they don't feel the need to try to humiliate you that their plastic is better than your plastic. So that's kind of nice.
1: Yeah, like when uh, you played against this one guy, and it was like, I'm going to try and and stab her in the face. And the guy's like, okay, try (laughs) and stab her in the face.
2: He was laughing too the whole time. He's like, I guess you face stab her. (laughs) But even like that, like, I mean, he, he ended up beating me by a couple of points, but he was, you know, he was nice about it. He was having fun with it. And he was also pointing out ideas to me, like, oh, well, if you do this, it's a better move. Very few people will tell you what you could do to win, as opposed to by the way, the thing that you just did that was a terrible move. If you did this, you would have won, but now you're losing. Have fun with that so I like that
1: that's what happened uh when we were playing the the last tournament of fear itself. the first person I played with the first thing out of his mouth was, "I really want to win the snake, but I'll try and help you out and It was like my first tournament, so I was like. Okay, I don't care about winning this snake. I just want to play. So, during the whole entire game, like, you know, he was doing like all this stuff, and I was just confused of what was going on. And then afterward, he was like, "Oh well, look, when I did this, you should have done that." And then when you did this, <laughs> I sh- I could have done this, but I did this instead. And I was like, "I don't, I don't want to play this game anymore." But then I played with Dan, and I was like, he made it more fun. So it it really depends on who you play with, because if you get people like that, you're like, yeah, I'm not playing this ever again. I me see that.
2: Yeah, and I mean, just like board games, you know, you always want to support the hobby. Like, you don't want to see less and less faces every week. So if you play the game, you know, always try to give a helping hand. Just up the number of players, you'll see more and more faces, and that's what really makes it fun.
0: Yeah, yeah winning alone is not enough. Yeah. Because then you don't get to play anymore, then... Yeah. Nobody wins. Yeah, you win all those clicks that no one will play against you with, so you never get to use them anyway. Yeah, and they take mm-hmm. space on your shelf. <laughs> so. All right, so there's one other game we got in this week, and we finally opened it up. Um, it was sent to us actually for the Extra Life event, and I actually pulled it from the raffle, so we figured we'd pop it open and take a look at it. It's Or Else. So it's from Flat Car 6 Studios, and Julia Huff sent it to us on Facebook. So we, uh, we popped it open, we played it, and it reminded us a lot of Flux. Um, A few different things, obviously, but the basic idea is that you're all in a lifeboat. You're trying to survive. It's cooperative, but there are ways that you can jump out of the boat or get knocked out of the boat and kind of fight for survival on your own, and it becomes a little combative. The one interesting thing in the game is it doesn't seem there's a losing condition, um, so there's not like, not there's no condition where everybody dies or gets buried in the desert, like these other cooperative games we're talking about. It is more like flux where it can keep going until somebody gets the win condition they need or all of you do
1: yeah
2: chris mentioned how um it was almost a little similar to legendary where when you do the team victory you still get points at the end so it's like we won as a team but i'm I'm the person that's in the front of the boat i'm the guy that gets on the cover of the newspaper you know like i'm the top player of our team but then there's also the single goals where in flux the way to win is always put in the middle and everyone can win that way there's one team victory like that in this game, and then there's the individual where only you win with those items. So it is an interesting concept. Um, we did get a couple of confusing parts where we had to go back and forth just to make sure we understood it. It's weird. It seems like a pretty simple game, but every so often you can get a little snagged up. But I mean, it, it definitely it was something different. You know I like the fact that at one point I knew you were close to winning. like I saw you you know you revealed your goal and you had items out. Like, I didn't know what you had in your hands, but I knew I didn't want you to have it, so I just shoved you off the boat, and you lost everything.
0: Yeah, it was one of those things early on where, like, if it's a cooperative win, why would you ever want to make people lose cards or get rid of paddles, and the paddles are how you eventually win? There's all these things you can do that attack other people or attack the boat or cause everybody to lose cards. You're like, why would I ever want to do that? But as you get along, you realize that you don't have the most paddles, but the team's about to win, so you're not going to win the individual win but the game's going to end. So maybe you delay it a little bit by playing an attack card or somebody else is in their life vest in the water, so you're going to attack them because they might win on an individual goal. So it actually starts to make a little more sense. We did have a little trouble figuring out when those things made sense based on the rules. Yeah. Um but we worked our way through it.
1: Also, the artwork is actually really really good. Like they did a really good job with it. And it almost reminds me of Flux where it's like uh you know when you get the the words in front of you like we um, were playing the like a zombie one right?
2: Yeah, like the so
3: like the keepers and the goals, yeah, like you see prepare. the pictures kind of sure. matching
1: the words and the same thing. Like they'll have like a pirate attack and they'll have like pirates, like a pirate boat with people on it. Like that's one of the attack cards. I like how they mm. kind of do that.
2: There's the um one of the action cards lets you take any card out of the discard pile. And it just shows a picture of, like, God putting down a little life preserver. And it just says, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, stuff like that was pretty cool. And, yeah, I mean, it's like the art is the art is very simple and very attractive to people. Like, it's, you know, it's not, too, like, an intimidating style or too serious. It's got that cartoony look to it. Yeah, it, it feels, like, very inviting. So by just breaking out the cards, I can see people going, like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go.
3: It's one of those few games that have has a good sense of humor about it. So, like, you, one of the cards is Gum. So you can use that as a food, but also to patch the raft.
2: Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cards like that. It's fun. Whoever made it, you know, it's a good sense of humor to keep things light because it is can get backstabby. You're going to start throwing cards at each other.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, i got to admit, I was actually surprised how fast
0: we degenerated into every man for themselves. <laughs> we were being pretty nice early. Like, we were discarding the attack cards. Like, I don't know if, if why I want to use this, and it seems mean. And then, like, the third or fourth round when yeah, you and Kim had <laughs> seven and eight... The paddles between you, know, you know, I was like,
2: no, no. And then say, it's like, you didn't have to go on your own, but you're like, I'm doing it. And the guys are like, well, I'm doing it. And even though I didn't have anything from my secret agenda, I kind of wanted to do it. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm going to do the same. I would have never have won if I did that, but it was fun.
0: So, yeah, we'll put a link to the game on our website. Um, I, think it's, I think it's only available online right now. It's an indie game. I know they're out in California. Yeah. Gotten some messages from Julia. So I don't know where where it's at in terms of retail distribution, but I know they have it on their website and probably trying to get it into the online stores, too. So you definitely check it out on our website if you want to learn more about it. And, yeah,
2: and you can also find uh, through Julia Huff on Facebook as well. She'll have a link for some of her stuff and everything there, too. She's She was really great about this by sending it out, and she got it to us just in time for Extra Life, which was
0: great. Yeah, yeah, and she included a lot of great stuff, too. We got a couple buttons and some tokens to go with the paddle cards. Uh I think some extra promos in there too so
2: yeah and what's great is it's another one of those tiny little box games so again it's like with something when you break out it's not a huge production it's not a 10 minute setup time it's a very quick startup yeah definitely
3: yeah so if you like flux and you have a chance to get a couple of friends together for a light kind of game just this might be the game for you plus
2: anytime you get to play something that says shark attack is always good (laughs) I just like that, oh, you're going on your own? Get back in the boat. (laughs) Shark attack. I just love that you survive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you're fine. Just get back in the boat. (laughs) I just wish it said somebody played a shark attack and somebody responded by pushing you out of the boat. That's it. You're out of the game. (laughs) Hey, there's a shark,
0: Funk. (laughs) All right. So that's everything we played this week. Next up is our feature review of Catan and Star Trek Catan. And now for the feature review Alright, so this week we were talking about Star Trek Catan, and before we get to that, I just wanted to run real quick through the rules and general style of play of Settlers of Catan, the game on which uh, Star Trek Catan is based. So this is kind of the cornerstone foundation game that kicked off the whole designer board game, Euro-style board game movement back in the 90s. Um, it is... A fairly simple game by today's standards, but it has a lot more complexity than the kind of games that we all grew up with, things like Monopoly or Life or even Risk. Um, The basic idea is that. Alright, so when you start the game, you're going to shuffle up uh, these hexagonal tiles and you're going to lay them out in. in (laughs) Jesus, what's wrong with me? Good call. You're going to shuffle up these hexagonal tiles and you're going to lay them out in a spiral until you've created the game board, which is going to be. three on each side, uh, and then you're going to put out numbers on each of the tiles, and there's rules for the order in which you drop the numbers because that's what affects the probability of what pops up when you roll the dice. Um, but basically every tile is going to have one number on it, every single tile coordinates to a different resource, which we'll get to in a second, and when the dice are rolled, if the number on the dice matches the number on that tile, anybody next to that tile is going to get that resource so you lay out the board you set it up you then decide who goes first typical style rolling the dice and then everybody's going to lay down one settlement and one road um you basically you put the settlements at a corner between any two hex any three hexes and then you put a road on this on the uh the line between them the uh, adjacent space between them how you choose where you put your settlements is basically based on the resources that each of those hexes gets. So let's say you put your settlement, uh, between a tile that has tree or has forest, uh, plains, and, uh, a quarry. So you're going to get wood, uh, wheat and stone when the, when any of those numbers pop up on those adjacent spaces. So you're going to take turns depending on the number of people. You're going to take turns counterclockwise. Um, so if you have players one two three four, they all lay down the one settlement and the one road, and then you go backwards. So the fourth player is going to put both of them down at the same time. The first player is going to be the first person to put down, but also the last. This actually matters quite a bit because you'll see from the number on each of those tiles how often it's likely to show up. So, for example, a 6 comes up on the dice all the time. A 12 is pretty rare, so having your settlement next to a 12 is not necessarily the best thing in the world because it's not going to be rolled very often. Um, You're going to take cards matching the resources for the second settlement you drop down, and then you start the game. Uh, Every turn, you will roll the dice. Everybody at the table gets the resources that match that number. Uh, Again, it's the number on the tiles. So if you are next to, say we roll a five, if you are next to a tile with a five on it, you get whatever resource that is. You build up cards in your hand, and then you spend those cards on your turn to buy specific upgrades. You can buy new settlements, you can buy new roads, you can buy cities, which are upgrades to your settlement, which basically means you get double the resources, and they are worth double the points. Or you can buy development cards, which are cool little cards that offer all sorts of other bonuses. Um, Some have victory points, some have knights, some let you build extra roads, Um, There's a cool one in there called Monopoly. It lets you steal basically all of one resource from everybody else. And then you're going to go around until the end of the game when everybody has 10 victory points, and that person is the winner. Um, There are a couple other elements in there. Uh, The robber is a little black token. It starts the game on the desert, and the desert is the only one without a number on it because you don't get any resources from the desert, so building next to it is not always good for you. But every time a 7 is rolled, the person who rolls the 7 gets to move the robber to any space on the board they want, and it locks down that space. If the number comes up, whoever's next to it does not get to draw a resource card for it. Also you get to steal from one of the people who is adjacent to that space. So you can steal a lot of cards in this game. It comes up a lot. knights also have a similar effect if you play a knight card which is a development card you can steal from you can move the robber and then steal a card the one other element of the game that's kind of huge is the trading at any time on your turn you can trade with other players uh let's say you have pretty much the wheat market cornered you've put down four or five settlements all around the wheat squares you're getting all the wheat you have six or seven cards at a time you can trade them away to other other people to other things um At any time, there's going to be one or two resources you need that other people have, and you can trade, you know, and you basically have to bargain it out. There's no rules on how you trade things. If someone wants your wheat but knows that you need the wood that you're trading for more, maybe they'll ask for two wheat instead of one. So it's a major part of the game. You have to keep track of what people are doing. A lot of the times, their victory points are at least partially hidden, Um, You can see how many points they have on the board because each settlement is worth one each city is worth two Um, If they have the longest road that's worth two if they have the most knights, that's worth two But there are also those development cards with victory points on them as well so you have to be careful with who you trade with and What effect that might have on the game overall? There's a huge luck element to the game obviously because of the dice, but at the same time where you place at the beginning, where you put your roads, and who you trade with and how you trade are going to have a huge impact. So this is kind of the classic entry-level Euro game. Um, It takes all of 10 or 15 minutes to explain the game to everybody uh, at the table, and then you can kind of run through it basically in that first round through. You're going to get, at the very end of the game too, there are a couple cards, uh, either the longest road, which basically when someone hits five, road length they're going to get that card anytime somebody surpasses them they can steal the card from them and that's worth two points so it's huge and then the biggest army uh when you hit the three knights on the table you're going to get that card and again if somebody gets more than you they can steal the card from you so these are all the elements of settlers of Catan, and we actually have star trek Catan, which adds a few really cool new elements to the game that um a, it's really thematic, but B, there's some new stuff that actually enhances the game in a lot of really cool ways that we really like a lot.
3: So when I first got into designer board gaming, I, of course, heard about Catan and all the great things about it and how it really had taken designer board gaming by storm. Now, if you've ever played Catan before or ever played a Euro, um, it can be a little dry, at least the theme, at least the artwork. It's a little bit basic. Now, it may not be your flavor. Maybe you like you know, trading cheap for wood. But if you're looking for something a little more thematic, a little more engaged with the universe, Star Trek Catan might be for you. Now, obviously this is truly engaged with the universe, pun intended, I guess. And what you're trying to do here is just pretty much everything that Anthony was talking about. You have the same tiles, which will be laying out. You have the same numbers, which you'll be putting down, which will determine what number and then what resource you'll get from that spot but you have a, little, a couple of differences. So to start off, some of those differences are just basically cosmetics. So instead of your standard resources, you're gonna have some slightly different but somewhat similar resources. So your red resource is the tritanium, the yellow resource is food, the white resource is oxygen, the green resource is the lithium, and the blue resource is water. And instead of having the desert, you're gonna have an asteroid field which will provide no resources. Also, the robber token is now replaced with a Klingon battlecruiser, and that will be stealing resources throughout the game. In addition, instead of the settlements, you'll have outposts, and instead of roads, you'll have starships, which will make starship lanes to travel on. And then instead of the upgrades to the cities, you'll have starbase expansions. Now, this is pretty cute about the game because it's actually a sorcerer section which goes right on top of the outpost, and now you'll score the two points instead of the one. In addition, you also have your longest road, but here it'd be longest supply route, and instead of the largest army, you would have the largest Starfleet. Same components as far as that's concerned. Um, The one main difference that Star Trek Catan uses is support cards. So at the start of the game, you'll actually start with a card, and you'll be able to do two things with it. One, you can use its benefit, and then once that's done, you can then either send it back and pick a new support card, or you can flip it over and use that ability again, and then later be able to switch that out for something else. So you have 10 support cards and they're all from the original series. So you have Uhura, you have Scotty, Spock, Sulu, Kirk, Sarek, Chapel, Rand, Chekhov, and McCoy each one of those will give you a different ability. So for example, for Kirk, Kirk gives you a protection from a seven. So when a seven's rolled, usually you have to give up half your resources, but if you have Kirk in front of you, you're protected. When any seven is rolled, you may immediately use disadvantage. If you have more than seven resources, you don't lose any, which is great because you want to build as many cards as possible in the game. Another favorite card is Spock, and he allows you to get resource compensation, so If you don't receive resources that turn and a seven wasn't rolled, you'll be able to choose one resource. That's really helpful when you're trying to build your last space station. And that is pretty much the differences as far as Star Trek is concerned. So if you played Catan, you're ready to jump into Star Trek Catan, and the only difference is the support cards there. We should also note that there's been a recent expansion, Star Trek Federation space. So while the the original Star Trek Catan has these variable tiles which you can kind of mix up the Star Trek Federation space is a, is a board and you'll actually have everything laid out for you and it's very thematic because it, it fits with the actual galaxy of the Star Trek universe. So it offers different planets, everything's thematic, different ports and offers a different type of gameplay.
0: Alright, so what do we think about Star Trek Catan and regular Catan since we've all played both now?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I went from never playing either of these games for months and months and months and months, to finally getting them both in within a 24-hour period. <laughs> uh, I mean, I definitely like it. I can see why, it. you know, everyone says it's a classic staple game. You, you definitely got to play it. It has, like, just the right amount of randomness combined with strategy. It's definitely one of the more early accessible games. And, now, Chris is our resident Star Trek fan. So I knew once that came out, he was definitely going to get it. And I gotta admit, like, the, playing the characters from Star Trek was pretty cool. Like, it was nice having those powers. Certain play methods did seem, like, almost a little broken with it, but I guess it's one of those things that, you know, with only one or two games' experience of it, I you know, it could depend on the table and who's using who. It seems like a lot of those characters, people were like, this one's my favorite, I'm always gonna try to make sure I get it back into my rotation. Like, very few people were, like, jumping around the entire crew available of the entire ship.
0: Yeah, there are three or four cards that are clearly better than the other cards. But some of them are situational. You might use yeah. some at certain points that you wouldn't threat the rest of the game. Yeah,
2: but it's, like, I think it's, like, gamer habit, where somebody's, like, Kirk, Spock, Kirk, Spock. <laughs> so A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, again, I think it's just habits as gamers, where we're used to, you know, hey, if it gets you there, just keep riding it, not...
3: And what the support cards allow you to do is kind of loosen up gameplay a little bit. So when you're playing regular hand, if you only have a certain number of resources and you can't build that city, you're kind of stuck if no one's willing to trade with you. And that can go for several rounds, especially at the end of the game if someone sees that you have eight or nine points and they're thinking that you need just that one more wood, they might, they might hold off on trading with you. This allows you the option to actually pick up some additional resources and to move things around. So it makes the game a little more dynamic, but it does It does have a different situational quality to it. It's who you pick up, when you pick them up, and how you can use them at that time.
0: Yeah, the one thing about Catan that I think most people would agree on, whether you like it or not, is that you're kind of at the mercy of everything and everybody else at certain points. Um, you're always at the mercy of the dice. You could pick all 6s and 8s on the board, and those never come up. You know, it's all probability. But at the same time, it's do people want to trade with you? Do they want to steal from you? You don't control any of these things. You could sweet-talk your way on the trade, but where they put the robber, when the dice come up, those things you can't always control. With the cards, you get a little bit more control. It's not game-breaking by any means, but it gives you just a little bit more that kind of compensates for those moments when you're like, I can't do anything right now. I'm going to go get something to eat.
3: Yeah, you're rolling two <laughs> D6s, so the co- you know it's possible to roll 12s, but it's more likely you're going to roll the 6s and 8s Oh, definitely. But uh, you never know. Some games you might roll sevens a lot, so it does have that randomness. And you might get stuck in a spot that just
0: is not paying out for you for some reason, even if you did pick the good rolls early on. Yeah. And even if you have the best spot, that just makes you a target with the robber most of the time. So with a card like Kirk, you know you don't have to fear that seven quite as much as you would you know, normally in a normal game of Settler's Catan.
3: One of the good cards, too, is Sulu. He allows you to move one of your starships, or in this case, one of your roads. So if you kind of felt
0: like, well, I was building that way and I got blocked, you can actually pick one up and move it somewhere else. Which is amazing, because it happens all the time. Sure. <laughs> you're like, I have a great idea to start the game. Well, that doesn't work. Three turns in. <laughs> so there's a lot of v- variability with it,
3: um, which is good. Keeps things fresh. The trading definitely offers another dimension to it that you don't see in a lot of Euro games and the variable variable board is really fun too because you never know what's going to be placed out there
0: yeah yeah i mean i love how star trek katan looks they easily could have just slapped the theme on there and maybe it's just because all the star trek stuff i've seen lately is from WizKids kids and it feels like they just slapped the theme on there <laughs> pretty much but you open the box and it looks pretty cool you know the artwork's pretty high quality the little ships are nice like the replacements for the roads the ships and then the outposts everything looks really nice and it's all very thematic even when it's all laid out on the board i like it i like how it all looks and feels it feels like it feels like star trek as much as it feels like Catan, which i think is an important way when you're reskinning a game like this that's so iconic you got to make sure that the theme gets in there just as much as the original game
3: yeah what's in What's definitely impressive is the starships. They're, it's a really nice skull. You get four different colors for four different players, um, and you're using the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, for all the quote-unquote roads. Um, but it's really fun for, as far as that's concerned. Um, and the dice have little speckles, so it kind of looks like space dice. And obviously you have the um, the outposts, which look like little space stations too. So instead of your traditional shipping ports, you have a little more of a space theme to it. Uh, one other thing we should mention too is you have more outposts or in this or in the original version you have more settlements than you usually do in the regular Catan. So it allows for allows for a lar- a lar- larger shipping lane and you can put more get more points that way too. Yeah, which is going to speed the game along too. You can build more. Sure. So you don't get boxed out cuz sometimes when you play Catan you just run out of the settlements and the cities and you just kind of kind of wait for development cards. This allows you to build a lot more on the actual board
2: itself. The one thing that was weird, though, was that uh, you're using enterprises for your roads. <laughs> so it's, I know it was like shipping lanes and everything, but it's like, I got 15 space cruisers that can do warp speed. <laughs> yeah, it
0: does make the board a little cluttered, too, because they're big. It's yeah. not like the roads in Catan are just pieces of wood, and you drop them down. In this, they are decent-sized sculpts, and they take up a lot of space. It looks cool, but its it gets cluttered if you're trying to, you know, take everything in all at once.
2: Now, would you say the Enterprises in this look better than the ones in Attack Wing?
3: They do.
0: They do. (laughs) Even in their just basic kind of plastic colors, they look a
3: lot better. Yeah, and they're like the size of a penny. That's true. Uh, All the cardboard is is high quality. The cards itself, the support cards, are a little small, and the text is a little hard to read, so I would highly recommend going over to BoardGameGeek and printing out some support sheets so that you'll actually know what are on the cards, because... You're going to spend
0: half the game trying to read that little tiny text and figuring out what it means. Yeah, especially if you're on the opposite side of the tables of cards. You're like, can you hand me all those again? And it's just going to slow the game down. So having a player sheet would be great.
2: And the one thing to remember, too, is when you're using those crew members, the first time you use them, you don't have to put them in the exchange pile. You can flip them and yes. get to use them a second time. That's something that I feel like a couple of us were forgetting when we were playing because people were so used to every other game where I use this, I'm done. Not yeah. that you have a second chance. But on that second time, you have to switch it.
0: Yeah, and some of those you're going to use a lot. And so you are going to put it back, and then someone else is going to get it. I think that's a great element, because it's not like, I have Kirk, he's mine for the rest of the game, and now some random luck element gave me the advantage the entire game. It's like, I either use him, or I hold him down, but then I'm still not using him. I'm not getting the benefit either.
2: Exactly, which is always pretty sweet. I like games that put you into that decision-making process like that. So. We
3: should also mention um, that this game came from May- Mayfair Games, and originally it was a Target exclusive. So it yeah. spent over a year over at Target, and it was the only place you could pick it up, and that's actually where I picked it up. But now, it's at, now, it's, now it has a general release for all your
0: local-friendly game stores. Yeah, they have a couple copies in Myriad right now.
2: I was going to say, it's weird for Target to have the lockdown on a board game. <laughs>
0: but They get that sometimes. Yeah. They got a Munchkin exclusive recently, too. Yeah. Right?
3: it's. I mean, Target has kind of branched out a little bit, so that's that's a positive thing. I know uh, Barnes & Noble, over the last couple of years, have had a lot of designer board games as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. I just like the idea of like Target's now again with Kickstarter exclusive or something. <laughs> Pretty much. And then six months later. And now clearancing all these games. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we don't advertise it. Yeah. It's
2: like, you know how we never uh, mentioned to you we carried this? Well, now you can get it for 10 bucks.
0: Yeah. We'll pick those up. Yeah, right. Yeah. Seriously. So, Someone in the marketing department's thinking, just not the rest of the marketing yeah, department. Much. <laughs>
3: well it's good to see that in the mainstream stores are you know, Monopoly is having some competition with some really high quality games.
2: Yeah. And I mean uh just in general, I mean like first of all, I mean that is still pretty impressive though. I like the idea, you know, that might be another place to hit if you're looking to get a couple of discount games. But I do like the fact that you know they at least found a way to add a little something more to the base game of Catan it's not just reskinning it and then slapping a forty dollar price tag on it
0: yeah and you know some of the expansions for Catan the thing is about Catan is that there are a lot of different variants it's a expansion universe different style games the geographies games etc but it's all the same kind of theme it's all that European you know agrarian type of theme this is really the first version of Catan I've seen where they that's completely gone. You're in space. You're exploring. It's Star Trek. So you can bring in a lot of people to this game that maybe originally it would just be like, uh ah, you know. You're taking a Euro and you're putting it in a new, you know, scan, a new idea that it's going to bring in new people. And I I love when companies are willing to do that to step outside of what it is. You know, like we talk about Waterdeep all the time taking yeah. fantasy elements that generally you wouldn't see in a Euro. This is still Catan, but it's the same idea. They're taking a leap and I think it's good for the hobby, but it's also, it's good for people who may not otherwise play this kind of game.
3: Okay, so what did everyone think?
1: Uh, When I first heard about the Star Trek Catan, I was a little taken aback. I'm not a huge fan of Star Trek. I don't really remember watching much of any of the episodes, and I didn't know who Captain Kirk or Spock was. You didn't know I who was, Dwarf I was? I actually hear Chris's
2: heart breaking.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. But... um. I played it. it. It was all right. It was interesting. The whole, uh... The trading mechanic was odd, because I didn't know that, you know, if somebody was, like, on the opposite side of, like, say, the galaxy, that <laughs> you could trade water with them. I was sure. like, how do you get the water to them? But I, I was just too logical with that. Work drive. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, when Anthony brought the Catan portable edition... I um I instantly wanted to get it because well first um I don't know if I have any pictures on Facebook but if you if you know what I look like I am very small I have small hands I I don't even reach five feet she's actually so, in my pocket
2: as we speak <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when I when he put out the game it was so tiny I was like this is perfect for me and when I held uh, when I held the cards in my hand I actually felt like a giant. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> but um the uh the building the buildings that you place, the roads that uh the roads that you place was actually pretty cool. So the the components of it actually made me want to play this game again. If you're if you're a Star Trek fan and you and a Catan fan, you'll probably wanna stick more to the Star Trek Catan. But um if you're not like don't don't be afraid to try it. Try it. it it's worth it's worth uh, a chance of playing. But for me, um, I have to say the the regular Catan is my thing. Really,
3: so that's a play for you. That
1: would be a play. Must awesome. play. Must play. A must play. Ooh, <laughs> must play. Yeah, I mean, uh,
2: like now that I finally played Catan, I kind of see why everyone says you got to get into your collection. I'm almost kind of tempted to pick up a simple one if I see it on clearance or cheap somewhere. Uh, the portable edition which we played was hilarious.
0: It's so <laughs> just tiny. the cards
2: are so small and paper thin.
0: Also, opening it almost every time is a roughly the same experience of, "Oh man, it's spilled again." Yeah, it's like <laughs> you
2: might as well just throw it down a flight of stairs and at least have fun with the uh, the mixing jumble process. But yeah, it's it's a pretty cool game. Um honestly, like between the Star Trek and the base game, it's just really those other cards and getting the extra couple of buildings and roads. I feel like um, Star Trek, you can be a little looser, since the cards can help you catch up and you have a little more to build with. Base Catan, you gotta maybe be a little more strategic and play a little tighter because you can't just, you know, run roughshod and go everywhere you want. But, yeah, I mean, um, if you like the sci-fi element, definitely go the Star Trek path. Might be able to hook a few of your friends in that normally want to go for these types of games. Otherwise, you know, Base Catan. I would say, let your wallet decide which one you feel like going for.
0: Yeah. um, I've played Catan for many, many years, so... I you know I already had a copy of it. I think if you know what Catan is, you probably you know it's likely you have one too. I think Star Trek Catan is a better game. Um, there is a the theme element, of course. If you don't like the Star Trek universe, it's probably not going to be that attractive to you in that regard. But those cards add an important element to the game. Everything else is kind of a skin, it's thematic. But the cards, I felt like loosened the game up a little bit. They played a little faster. You always feel like you can do something. There's no turns where you're like, "Well, I can't do anything because this just got rolled on me." Um, it adds that extra element that really changes how the game plays out, and I feel like a very good way. So, like personally myself, now that this is available outside of Target, I think I'm going to pick it up and replace my Settlers of Catan with Star Trek Catan because I like Star Trek universe. My wife likes the Star Trek universe. We'll probably play this instead, and that you know that's my opinion because I. I like the universe, so it's hard to say if I think it's better in other elements, but honestly, I think it is. I think it plays better with those cards, and I think I'll have a lot more fun pulling that out and running it through. So, for me, I think it's a buy. Yeah,
3: as I said, originally when I looked at Catan, I was trying to figure out to buy the original or pick up the Star Trek version. Was the Star Trek version dramatically different, and I wasn't going to get the Catan experience? So, I went ahead and tried the original Catan game on iPad, so Catan HD. And it gives you a kind of nice experience of what Catan looks like and the actions you have to take. Although, if you're playing the computer, um, you're never really getting that trading experience. More times than not, the the computer does not want to trade with you. So you almost have to go directly to a port in order to have a chance to win the game. So that was my kind of first experience. And then I jumped ahead and picked up Star Trek Catan. And I'm glad I did, because obviously this is a theme I really like. The components are really nice for me personally, I do like the, all the Euro games with little wood components to it. But it's nice to get these little mini sculpts and the ships and the space stations are cute. You put the little saucer on top and it's really interesting. And as Anthony said, the support cards. While graphic design is a little bit challenging, being able to pick up a card and take an action really does speed this game up because Catan can take a while. And this actually makes it a more playable game, a lot more fun for new players or Ameritrash players who just want to get through with it. Because some of my early plays of the original Catan was if you got a bad spot in the beginning, you were stuck. And you were stuck in in the worst way because maybe you couldn't pick up sheep for some reason or somebody wasn't trading with you. That was a hard game to play through because it was another hour and a half of just waiting to hopefully build enough Cards to be able to trade in to get that one resource. So the cards kind of loosen things up. I own this game, it's a buy for me. And if you've been thinking about Catan and if the version doesn't matter to you, pick up Star Trek Catan. Definitely has a lot more flavor to it and the support cards and a better experience for it. As far as the Catan HD, I'm going to dodge that. I personally picked it up, but I would ask you to dodge it because Catan is made to be a social game. If you don't have players around the table playing with you, you're missing out. And one last thing, Catan plays best with four players. I know there's a five to six player expansion, but it really does bog the game down. And there's other additional kind of expansions to it as well. Stick with the base game and play the rest and see what works best for you. So that's Catan and Star Trek
2: Catan. All right, guys, so we want to know your thoughts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at, at BGA Podcast. Always like us on Facebook. You can just look us up under BoardGamers Anonymous. And if you want to send us an email, tell us what games you want to hear talked about, or tell us your thoughts about Catan, that's questions at boardgamersanonymous.com.
0: And don't forget, we have a guild on Board Game Geek. We do. Look up BoardGamers Anonymous. We're there. So, All right, so that's everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Dan. This is Kim. And this is Chris. And until next time.
3: We'll save you a seat at the
2: table. All right, so we're going to go for regular Katan and Star Trek Katan again.
0: i vote Star Trek. Want to go one more go, Kim? Sure, I like I want
1: the purple
0: one. To boldly go where... i like the purple new purple meeple is going to I, I think know. so. I think I'm going to boldly come in last place. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
2: you boldly pull out a victory at the last <laughs> second. I <laughs> feel yeah, like you boldly won, <laughs> not three oh, out. That was in playing of Katan. Star Trek uh, Katan, I think I had uh, four points <laughs> to be fair, I don't
0: think I've won this game in games.
3: I don't do <laughs> That's not
0: a little rough. Awesome. No, I really have never won this game. you know, if you make a little secret line to me, you offer know, me two in the beginning of the game, Jenna, be able to do uh, A <laughs> little insider trading. This no, is a yeah. cosmic account of the
1: book
0: it went I definitely
2: <laughs> want that. <to. laughs> we I can come close. I want there to be a black market in the Star Trek. <laughs> okay, Chris, now we have to
1: uh, get the knights and just steal like, a
0: car that I'm so. Why just handling? This was, this was a conspiracy, not just a
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's go to Myriad, pick up a copy of the game, and you're the battle start with the
0: lights. Done. Cylon oh.
1: is the beef.
0: So, yeah. when you roll a four, five, six, seven, four, eight, five, six, seven,
2: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?